Hi, this is Pastor Josh from First Baptist to Queen. Uh, this is our Wednesday night study of, uh, right now, the book of Ephesians. Uh, tonight we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So Paul has just written in the previous verse that followers of Jesus are to be kind tender-hearted and forgiving. These traits are demonstrated to the level of which we are imitating God in our daily lives. Children who are selflessly loved seek, even subconsciously, to imitate their loving parents in actions, attitude, habits, and even careers. So naturally, as we begin to better understand the love and loving nature of our Heavenly Father, imitation should spring forth from our behavior. The more we understand and embrace the love of the Lord, the more that love re reveals itself through our words, actions, thoughts, and motivations. So telling us to imitate God, Paul then does something very interesting. His Greek indi uh, indicates that what follows in verse 2 explains how we are to be imitators of God. So verse 2, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So imitating God means living a life of love without hesitation or reservation for whom the love is to be extended. By writing of walking in love, Paul is talking about our lifestyle and our behavior. He's not only talking about demonstrating love while we walk around throughout the day. He's meaning that loving other people should be baked into our every action that we proceed to do and every word that comes out of our mouths. This love is not merely an emotion that we feel towards the other person. Biblical love is demonstrated in how we act and speak towards other people directly to them and about them even when they are not there. And Jesus is the perfect demonstration of this kind of love through his sacrificial death. The loving act of his death came from the outpouring of his love. But the act was also a gift to God. Paul calls Jesus' act of love a fragrant offering. That specific language means the sacrificial offering was pleasing to God. The imagery is of a pungent offering set ablaze on an altar, and the smell of the offering reaches the nostrils of the Lord, making him smile. Jesus' death was motivated by love for people and acted upon as a gift to God the Father. In the same way, we, as followers of Jesus, are to imitate that same kind of love through every interaction with other people. And always remember that biblical love is demonstrated in how we act and speak towards other people, directly to them and about them when they are not there. Look at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So these kinds of activities that Paul mentions do not in any way imitate God through love, as he was just talking about. These kinds of activities are not even to be discussed in any sort of approving manner that might even simply make light of them. Paul is saying, don't do them, don't talk about them as anything other than sin. For such activities and talk simply cannot fit 
in with the life of the holy ones of God, believers, followers of Jesus, imitators of God. Sexual immorality that he says there means any kind of sexual activity outside of husband and wife. The word impurity gives the idea of a white canvas and even one drop onto it sullies what was otherwise completely pure. So anything that would introduce even the slightest impurity into the life of the believer and by extension, the life of God's church must be completely refrained from. Paul also mentions that covetousness is equally as dangerous. This kind of covetousness means ruthless and extreme greed for personal gain through pursuing all kinds of personal desires, including sexual, material, and financial. There is not room in the life of the believer who is following Jesus and for trying to imitate God's love for any of these things. Paul, then, in the next verse, takes it a step further. He says in verse 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So Paul is telling his readers, us, that anyone attempting to imitate the Lord should replace parts of their speech with better vocabulary. There is to be no filthiness. The word means anything that would be shameful for Jesus, anything indecent, anything that is perverted, anything out of place in the life of a biblical believer. There's also to be no foolish talk. This idea is words that are not beneficial for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear, as he says back in chapter 4, verse 29. Foolish talk is talk that is useless and inane. There should be no crude joking. That means vulgar, indecent, explicit humor. The idea is one misapplying their skillful wit for the cheap, easy laugh at the expense of a cheap and easy culture. All of these things do not fit with the lifestyle of someone trying to follow Jesus, whether partaking yourself or being entertained by them. All of these things are to be replaced by a thankful attitude. Now, to be clear, Paul is not outright banning conversations about sex. He is clarifying that such conversations should be made with thankful praise. Similarly, he's not outright banning humor or joking, but any of that kind that could spiritually harm or tear down someone must be completely avoided. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So it would appear, just in a straightforward reading of the verse, out of context, it would appear that Paul is saying that anyone who is in an active practice of these activities mentioned in verse 3 cannot go to heaven as though they are unforgivable, as though they are too much for the blood of Jesus to cover, which is definitely not the case. Because the death and, death and resurrection of Jesus can cover any sin. So what exactly is Paul saying here? He's saying the active practice of these things is an intentional choice on behalf of the individual choosing to be immoral, impure, or covetous, setting up and pursuing an idol in one's life. Someone who is fully pursuing these activities 
uh, without any conviction from the Holy Spirit does not have the Holy Spirit or salvation. These activities can still be forgiven should the partaker repent and come to Jesus, and these activities have already been forgiven should a believer stumble and fall into one of these sinful actions. What Paul is meaning is someone who is attempting to imitate the practice of these things uh, is not attempting to imitate the lifestyle of the Lord. Look at verses 6 and 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. So there will be people, unbelievers, who through their activity and their words about their activity attempt to lure believers into participation. Though their words may seem to be attractive under certain conditions, Paul calls these attempts nothing more than deception. We must not even entertain the thoughts in our heads of the possibility of succumbing to the temptation. Because, let there be no misunderstanding, words of deception trying to pull us towards the activities that have no place in the life of the followers of Jesus must be exposed for what they are and blocked from taking root. These very activities into which those deceiving words try to pull us bear the penalty of God's wrath for unbelievers. It is extremely severe and serious. So for the believer to partake in these sinful activities alongside the unbeliever is to put opportunity for that person's acceptance of the gospel in jeopardy. As imitators of God, we ought not to imitate unbelieving activity so as to bring the unbeliever to Jesus. So then, we are not to become partners, fellow participants with them in these actions. Verses 8 and 9. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Believers should not partner or participate along with unbelievers in such activities, because those, act, those kinds of activities are done by people who are in spiritual darkness. Because believers are no longer in spiritual darkness, but they are in the light of the Lord. And as such, believers are supposed to be lights shining in the darkness, not lights participating in the darkness. For believers who participate are not able to shine. Paul instructs believers here to live like who they are, be who they are, and stop pretending to be someone they are not. They are children of light, children of God, and as such, they are meant to live like they are children of light, children of God. In verse 9, we see that when children of the light live like they are children of light, they produce everything that is good and right and true. So in order to fill the world with more of the good, right, and true, the believers need to decide to be who they were made to be, which is children of the light, children of God, followers of Jesus, followers of the way of Jesus. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So the, the life of the children of light attempts to live right in the middle of what is pleasing to the Lord or the Lord's will. So Paul is challenging his readers to determine what pleases the Lord and follow that line of activity throughout one's life. He says, try to discern. That word discern means put to the test, judge to be genuine. 
there's almost a sense of as you go about living, please the Lord with your life. When in truth, even though we would say that we want to please the Lord, we do not often give extensive thought except in moments of possibly life-altering decisions. But the meaning of the word walk from verse 8 encompasses all parts of a person's life, no matter how life-altering or seemingly unimportant. So our every decision, thought, and interaction as a child of light, a follower of Jesus, is supposed to please the Lord and produce what he would consider to be good, right, and true. Living a life that is pleasing to the Lord does not happen by default or by accident. It takes great intentionality and purpose-filled decisions. We have to decide that this is the kind of life that we want to live. And until then, we are just playing at being a child of the light. A person is not going to make any meaningful health-related decision about exercise or the redeeming quality of the food that is eaten until they really want a life change. In the same way, a a person is not going to make any meaningful spirit-related decision about living like a child of the light until they really want life change. So, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Paul emphasizes here his point even further by writing that believers are not to participate in any way in the sinful works of the unbelievers and do not produce all that is good and right and true. Those activities produce nothing that is eternally good or eternally right or eternally true. Those activities only produce within oneself the fulfillment of the base sinful nature and nothing that is God-honoring. So rather than participate in the sinful works of darkness, the believer is told by Paul to expose them. That word expose means to convict, to bring to the light. The believer is not to participate in the dark activities, but is to work to bring those in the darkness into the light. There in verse 12, he's saying that the children of light should not even consider participating in the actions of the darkness because it is even out of place. It doesn't fit. It is unbecoming for them to even talk about such things. By not allowing the mind of the believer to even contain thoughts of the secret acts of darkness long enough to form a coherent spoken idea, the children of light are protecting themselves from temptation and producing an urgency within themselves to bring those in darkness into the light. Look at verses 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, Paul here speaks to a life that is lived by a child of light. For when light is shined around, it reveals and makes visible whatever it shines upon. Then the things that receive the shining light are brought into the light, being able to be made visible, to say, they are no longer in darkness. Some scholars think that this refers to the activities of those people who are in the church, Paul, the church Paul's writing to in Ephesus, who had been following the decisions of those who were in darkness. And that when other people in the church start acting like 
Jesus, or as children of the light, then the acts of darkness done by the believers will be exposed and the individuals will be brought back into the light. But Paul has been using this illustration of light and darkness throughout this passage to represent believers and unbelievers. So we cannot say that a child of light is brought back, uh, that a child of light is back in darkness needing to be brought back into the light because in Paul's illustration, that would mean an individual losing one's salvation. And Paul actually says the opposite of that, that a person can never lose their salvation. So this must mean something other than that. Now, if we look at verse 14, we see that in the quote that Paul has there, he is referring to someone who is dead. Or, to put it as he does in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, dead in their trespasses and sins. So to awake from death is to be resurrected to a new life in Christ, which is the language of salvation. So then, Paul's meaning here would be that the shining of the believer can bring unbelievers to a new life in Christ. When, an, when a believer imitates the Father and follows the direction of the Spirit in the way of Jesus, unbelievers are confronted with the decision of choosing the light or the darkness, life or death. Paul wants the believer to shine as bright as possible, live as much like Christ as possible, so that as many people as possible can come to the light, can come to Jesus. Because for Paul, it's always all about Jesus, always all about the gospel. Thank you for checking this out today, this section of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Uh, next time, we'll take a look at the next chunk of Scripture uh, from the book of Ephesians and Paul's letter to them. Uh, so uh, join us next time as we uh, take a look at that. Thank you for being with us today.